A man named Andrew Davis, he uh, writes in his blog of the day that he met the Queen. And Mr. Davis was invited to London as part of a big UK-wide celebration of industry. And, and you can take it from me, Mr. Davis was excited about this prospect. Uh, he went out as soon as he heard and he bought a shiny new suit. And then he read up all the literature that was available and etiquette and he went off to London and Buckingham Palace with a spring in his step. And when the day arrived, Mr. Davis couldn't believe his eyes. He arrives at Buckingham Palace and the architecture of the place that pulls him over and the paintings on the walls. He could not believe his eyes. And then it happened. Mr. Davis joined a queue that was sneaking its way to this grand hall and it hit home to Mr. Davis. Soon, it's going to be my turn. Soon, I'm going to be next. Very soon, Mr. Davis realized, I am going to meet my sovereign, my ruler. I am going to meet the queen. Well, I hate to break it uh, to you, friends, but that is very unlikely to happen to many of us in here. It's unlikely that many of us are going to be found in conversation with Her Majesty anytime soon. But this morning, I want to remind you of this. One day, you are going to meet God. One day, every single one of us in here, young, not so young, We are going to stand before the majestic king of kings. And it is that this morning that we must view. You see, today we are concluding this sermon series in the book of Malachi. And if you have been here for recent weeks, you'll know this, that the context here is very much around the coming day of the Lord. Is that not right? We have seen much in the last few weeks about the return of the Lord Jesus Christ. Well, this morning, as we conclude this prophecy, again, it's that coming day that is brought into view for us. But we are shown in these concluding words just how that day when you and me shall meet God, how that should impact and change the way that we live for him just now. And this is the plan. It could not be more simple. I want to draw your attention to, I want to highlight a number of truths that we are shown in these verses. And the first is this. We're shown here the godly activity, the godly activity that should occupy us before we meet God. The godly activity that should occupy us before we meet God. And I'll even tell you what we're going to do in this first heading. Here, what I want us to do is to consider one solitary verse under this first heading. Just one verse, and I want us to pick it apart by asking uh, a few questions of it. So I think it would benefit us all if we looked at this verse and gave it a close reading. Would you look with me to verse 4, even the boys and girls here? Can we all look to verse 4? Malachi says to these people, remember. Now he's saying it in advance of this coming day. And then he says, remember the law of my servant Moses, the statutes and rules that I commanded him at Horeb for all 
Israel. So we're going to look at that. We're going to pick it apart. So the first question we've really got to ask there is what exactly does it, what exactly is it that the people of God have to remember? Now you see that they are told to remember. They are told to remember the law of my servant Moses. So what exactly is that? that's in view there. Well, I think you and, and I, we could conclude, we could conclude that Malachi simply has in view the Ten Commandments of God. Couldn't we? You, you perhaps noticed that he speaks of Horeb in that verse. And we know what Horeb is, don't we? We know that it is a synonym. It is a biblical synonym. It means the same thing as Sinai, where Moses received the Decalogue. So we could think there, Malachi saying, in advance of God's return, you remember the Ten Commandments, okay? We could think that. But hang on a second. What is it that we know in here? We know that very often in the Bible, the law means a lot more than just the Ten Commandments, don't we? We know that the law sometimes means the whole of the Levitical Code, doesn't it? It sometimes means the whole of the Pentateuch. And isn't that certainly what Malachi seems to be thinking about? Because you noticed again, didn't you? He speaks about all of statutes. He speaks about all of the rules, all of the commands of Moses. So, friends, I ask you, do you see what it is that Malachi is saying? Do you see what he's thinking about? He is telling the people of God in advance of God's coming, you remember Scripture. The before this coming day of the Lord, you call to mind, you bring to mind, you remember the Word of God. That is what he's talking about. But then let's keep picking it apart. Let's ask another question here. Because who is it that's being told to remember God's law, the law of Moses here? You can see it from my point of view. Can you not? Like I can never take for granted the fact that the people I'm speaking to on a Sunday morning will be familiar with this text. We're in such a blessed situation where we get visitors most weeks at London City Presbyterian Church. And it may be the case, if you're a visitor here, that you're not all that familiar with Malachi. Maybe you think it's a bit of an obscure, obscure Old Testament prophet. Maybe for those who have been here, maybe you've been sleeping through some of the the sermon series. Maybe you've missed it. Who's Malachi speaking to? Who is he speaking to? How would you answer that if you have been here for the sermon series? You would maybe say, speaking to the ancient uh, people of Israel or a people that have recently returned from exile. Would you say that? Yes. But this is what I want you to think about just now. Malachi at this point is speaking to a people who are so frustrated with the apparent inactivity of their God. Isn't that right? These people are so frustrated, struggling with God's apparent inactivity. They've built a temple and God has not filled it with his presence. These people are desperately wondering, why have we not been renewed after exile? They're struggling with with God's inactivity. And it is these people, these people who are told, remember the word of God. Remember the law of Moses. And I think this morning, if we just linger on that for a moment at London City Presbyterian Church we see an obvious and clear application, do we not? Because, friends, is there a parallel here? Is it not true that we sometimes in this congregation 
We despair over God's apparent lack of activity. Isn't that what you think as a believer? Now, what do we know as the children of God today? I mean, we know that God is active, isn't he? We know that in our heart of hearts and we see it. And man, some of you, you know it all too well that God is alive and well and doing great things in Southeast Asia. There's marvelous things in South America today, isn't he? All of these wonderful stories of thousands of people being saved. What is the hard truth we face here? We're not seeing that sort of revival in Europe today. We're certainly not seeing it in London. We're not seeing it in London City Presbyterian Church. Do you see the parallel? It seems to be a day with us frustration. It's a day of small things. So how do we respond? What is it God wants us to do? What do we learn here? You and I in a day of small things, we must focus ourselves on the Bible. Like if we look around and we are frustrated with God's apparent inactivity, we don't wander off to another different type of church looking for an emotional high. We mustn't do that. And if we are frustrated with God's apparent inactivity, we do not fall back from the Christian faith looking for an experience out in the world. What must we do in advance of meeting God? We must, regardless what he is doing today, we must root ourselves in his word in scripture. So we see what exactly they're to do there is remember God's word. We see who it is that's told to do this. A frustrated people. The third question I want to ask of this verse might seem strange, but what does it actually mean? What does it mean to remember? You see the question, the root of the question? I mean, what is Malachi saying to these people? Is he saying, okay, think about, recall the Ten Commandments, recall. What's he saying? What does remember mean? Well, you'll excuse me just for a moment. Um, just get technical for just a few seconds. I'm sure I'll be forgiven. But the word here that Malachi uses for remember, it is the Hebrew word, and it is a word called zakar. Zakar is the word. Great word. It's actually quite a fluid word. This is what I want you to appreciate. More often than not in Scripture... Zakar does not just mean recall. It's not that sort of remember. That's not what zakar is more often than not. In scripture, more often than not, zakar is a word that demands action from people. So do you see now what Malachi is saying? He's not saying to these people, in advance of the coming day of God, you memorize the Bible. It's not just that. It's not just you learn some scripture, you study scripture. Do you see what he's saying? He's saying before the coming day of God, act. Comply with the word of God. Obey scripture. And surely in light of that, there is a challenge that I have to give. There is a question that I have to ask you. If you are a Christian in here this morning, are you a believer Well, friend, is that true of you in advance of the return of the Lord Jesus Christ? Are you today seeking to live in obedience to God's word? Is that you? Yes, 
reading the Bible. Yes, studying scripture, but seeking, struggling with yourself and your sin to live it out, live in compliance with God's word. Because what I said at the beginning is not fanciful. Did you think it was? It is not. One day you are going to stand before King Jesus. It's quite a thought, isn't it? And though on that day you will not be saved through your obedience or your works, will you? I can tell you this for nothing. On that day your works and your obedience will be assessed. It will be scrutinized. What will your king see in you? Will he see a a child of God who has sought to wrestle with obedience according to his word? Or will he see a wayward Christian? It is a thought, isn't it? Jesus says to you, if you love me, you're going to obey my commands in advance of his return. Will we not seek to do just that? So we see the godly activity. What should we be in advance of Christ's return? We should be a people of the book, shouldn't we? So with the godly activity, there's a second thing that we want here in these verses. And that is the gracious blessing that we receive in advance of meeting God. The gracious blessing. I hope, do you know, I hope you noticed it. I'm going to point it out, but I hope this is unnecessary. Did you notice the blessing? Have a look at verse. Again, boys and girls, if you've got your Bibles open, have a look. What does God promise? He promises uh, to turn the hearts of fathers to their children and to turn the, the hearts of the children to fathers. Now, that, I think, is not the easiest of phrases or promises that we have from God in Scripture. So again, what I think we need to do is just try and pick it apart, ask some questions. First is this, through whom, in the text, through whom does God promise to provide this blessing? Do you see the answer in verse 5? God promises to restore the family relationship, fathers to children. He promises to restore it through Elijah. Everyone got that, boys and girls? It's through Elijah that this, this, this promise is is expected to be fulfilled. Okay, let me ask you this if you've been here for the sermon series. What do we know? Can you cast your, your minds back a couple of sermons? What Do we not know that this prophecy has been fulfilled? Isn't that right? Do you remember the messenger from a couple of weeks ago who would come and pave the way uh, before the coming day of the Lord? Do you remember that? Hopefully you do. This prophecy of this Elijah coming in advance of the Lord, this is a prophecy we know has been fulfilled. And who has it been fulfilled by? Even the boys and girls, I think, would would say it's been fulfilled by John the Baptist, hasn't it? This prophet Elijah fulfilled in the coming into of the world of John the Baptist. I still think that raises a question in my mind, and I'm sure in your mind. The question simply, why Elijah? Like, why was it not that Malachi stood before a group of people like this, the people of Israel? And why does he not? Maybe they're in the marketplace. And why does Malachi not say to these people, before the coming of God, a prophet is going to come? Why doesn't he leave it unspecific? You ever asked that question? 
Like, why does he say, Elijah's coming? Why, why not Isaiah? Why not Jeremiah? Why not Ezekiel? Why on earth is it Elijah? Have you ever asked that question? Well, I think the answer, in a sense, is relatively straightforward and clear. This great figure that Malachi promises, he is associated with Elijah. Why? Because of the type of ministry that this great prophet will fulfill. And you see that, do you not, if you know about Elijah? What was Elijah's ministry like? One of boldness, would you not agree? One of courage. What did he do, Elijah? He, he called for a return to God, a return of Israel to God. And so you see what Malachi is saying? That this man to come, this great prophet to come, the distinguishing characteristic of his ministry was repentance. That this blessing here, fathers turning to children, children to fathers, it would only come through sincere confession of sin. But that still leaves us with a bigger fish to fry, because we're still scratching our heads, aren't we? Come on, we are. We're all still wondering, what does it actually mean? Fathers turn to their children, children turn to their fathers. What exactly is God promising here? Well, I am getting old. I'm feeling my age at the moment. I, uh, I'm going to be 40 this year. I'm trying to wrestle with the idea that I'm going to be middle-aged. And as everyone can see, my eyes are perhaps not what they once were. So I'm feeling old. And as uh, most people in here who are uh, feeling their age, we tell you. What comes along with advancing years tends to be a sense of reflection. Isn't that true if you feel yourself getting older? What we tend to do as we get older is we reflect more. We reflect more in our own life. We reflect in culture. We certainly reflect in the country and the society in which we live. So, as I have been getting older and reflecting, what has struck me most is the work of the evil one. And in particular, the way that Satan continually seeks to attack the family. I'm sure you see what I mean. When I was a kid, when I was a child in school, it was very unusual for any of my peers and fellow school children to come from a broken home. That was so unusual. Now I look at my own children and their circumstance, and what do I see? That is not just the norm. That is the expected thing. It is highly unusual for these children to come from a home where there is a stable husband and a wife. Do you see the point I'm making? Satan trying to attack the family, trying to attack... How does he do it? You've seen it today. I'm sure that he tries to nullify gender roles... It's almost unimaginable to us. And he seeks to dilute the idea, the biblical concept of a marriage, doesn't he? And he seeks to normalize ideas about divorce. You see the evil one pushing against this glorious gift to us from God of family, this biblical idea of family, evil one pushing against it. Now, if you are like me for so long, you may have thought of this as a modern day assault. Have you thought like this? That this attack is a new strategy from Satan. That maybe since the 60s sexual revolution 
And Satan has begun to really launch an assault on the family. Is that how we think of it? In a modern day assault? Can I say it is nothing of the sort? And I wonder if you have been here for the sermon series. Do you now recognize what has been one of the primary themes in this Old Testament book? Do you, if you think about it, think about, go back through what we've seen. There is the theme here of God protecting the family. Isn't that right throughout Malachi? Think about what we've seen. What has Malachi spoken out against? He's spoken out against divorce. Hasn't he? We've heard God rally against divorce. The words, I hate divorce. What else have we seen? We've seen Malachi rally against intermarriage. Something that you threaten a stable, godly family. God rallying against that. What else have we seen? We've seen Malachi speak out out against anything that will any way threaten the raising of godly offspring, godly children. Do you see the theme all the way through here? This theme of God protecting the family, the importance of the family. And if you recognize that, do you now not see the content of this promise from God in Malachi 4 verse 6? What is God saying he is promising to restore Family dynamics. Isn't that it? God's saying in these verses, through this coming Elijah, through that repentance, fathers won't just be turned back to God by grace. That a knock on glorious effect of the gospel is that fathers will be turned from their selfishness, their self-centeredness and turned back to their children through this confession of sin, through this repentance, family harmony. I don't know about you, I love that idea. Don't you love that idea? So we ask, when is it going to happen? When is this going to happen? How do we interpret this? Well, in a sense, of course, you and I as Christians have this to look forward to, don't we? What do we know, Christian friends? One day, believing families will gather before our God. We will not just meet God. We will meet God with our believing offspring our believing parents, our believing siblings. It is a wonderful thing that we have this to look forward to. But you know what's even better? This is a promise for today. This is a promise for us now, because what do we know? John the Baptist has come. This repentance has been called for. This messianic age has begun. You are confronted this morning with the reality that through repentance, through confession of sin, that family harmony comes. There is, by God's grace, possible as a knock-on effect to the good news, true biblical family dynamics. So I, I do ask you, are you this morning a parent who is really struggling with your kids? And are they wayward? Or are you a child struggling with your parents? Are you struggling with your spouse, friend? Then heed the promise of God in Malachi chapter 4. Let us repent of our sin. Let's confess our sin to God. Let us ensure that Christ Jesus is the one who is head of the home. That he is given the priority in our homes. And what happens? By grace, fathers turn to their children. Children also turn to the fathers.
And then the last thing that we see here, we've seen the godly activity. We are to be people of the book. We've seen this gracious blessing, fathers turning to children, children turning to fathers, the knock-on effect for families of the good news. And then lastly, we see the grave warning we receive in advance of meeting God. And to quote Jim Morrison, this is the end. I don't just mean it's the end of the sermon or the sermon series. I don't even mean that this is the end of the book. I mean that now you and I come to a phrase that marks the end of the Old Testament in our English Bibles. The very last phrase that marks it. Isn't that something? If you think about it, this is the last phrase that God Almighty will utter to his people. Listen to this. For over 400 years. The last phrase they are going to hear from God for over four centuries. That's a thought. But before we get to the phrase, let me ask you this. If you've been here for the sermon series, what has grabbed you most about Malachi? What's going to be your impression of this Old Testament book, friends? Would you, I wonder, agree with us? One of the most striking things about Malachi has been the faithlessness of the people of Israel. I mean, come on, think about how the book began. They doubted God's love. Do you remember that all those weeks ago, those months ago, perhaps? And they followed, do you remember, the false teaching of the priests? God, terrible sacrifices. Do you remember the greed? They would not tithe. They would keep it all to themselves. Indeed, is it not true that there seems to have been very little genuine faith in Israel in the 5th century B.C.? Like, if you have been here, how would you describe these people? Can I tell you how I would describe these people? They were classic religious people, weren't they? They build a temple. They have these daily rituals and their sacrifices. They are incredibly religious people. And yet there seems to be very very little genuine faith. So my question is, what does God have to say to these people? Would you look at the last verse? What does he leave them with for 400 years? Read it carefully. Should there fail to be genuine response to the ministry of Elijah, God promises that he will come and he will strike the land with a decree of utter destruction, that should there feel to be this repentance, this contrition for sin, what is he saying? He's saying, on this day of the Lord, there's going to be judgment. There's going to be condemnation for people. The wrath is going to be meted out. Now you stick with me for a moment, please. What is utterly fascinating is how the church and those even outside the church have sought to deal with this last phrase in the Old Testament fascinating because for years and centuries people have tried to water down this last phrase of malachi you see what liberal scholarship has done over years over decades over centuries they have tried to remove this as the last phrase of the old testament they've tried to also replace it with other phrases and you can see what they're thinking they're thinking, oh, this cannot be. We cannot have this. We cannot have a God who, who, who utters a decree of destruction as his last word for 400 years. Let us dampen it down. Well, let's change it. 
I'm asking you, what do you think of that attitude of liberal scholarship to change this last phrase? What do you think? What do you think? You think, as you look at me just now, you think, that is wrong. We can't do that. We can't just, you know, take it away. We can't change scripture. Is that what you're thinking? This is how I want to end the sermon series. By asking whether we at London City Presbyterian Church today are not just guilty of doing exactly the same thing. Are we not guilty by our lack of trusting in the Lord Jesus Christ and our lack of faith? Are we not guilty of seeking to dilute the reality of what is going to happen when the Lord Jesus Christ returns? And I say that to you if you're a Christian. Is it the case for you that you are actually living in this practical denial of the coming judgment of God? Living, not recognizing, not living through, not appreciating the, the, the urgency of the situation of your friends, your unbelieving family. Living in, in that way, living, not seeing, not recognizing the desperate need there is for you to live out your faith and to tell other people of salvation in the Lord Jesus Christ. Is, is that where you are? Is that where we are as a congregation as Christians? Are we not then now shaken by the Holy Spirit? By this last phrase. Are we not thou awoken? What is the Holy Spirit saying to us? A decree of destruction for all those people we know outside of the Lord Jesus Christ. Doesn't it shake us? But then, what if you are not a Christian this morning? Is it true also for you that you are denying What will occur when Christ Jesus returns? Again, I say to you, if you're not believing that that how we started this sermon this morning um, is not a fairy tale and it's not make-believe and it's it's not just hearsay, it's not any fairy stuff. One day, you are going to meet God. And surely you have to ask, How is that meeting going to go for you? What is God going to see in you? Is God going to look at you and recognize someone who in this life has rested on the cross, rested on the saving work of the Lord Jesus Christ? Or on that day, will God put you out to where Jesus tells us is nothing but weeping, nothing but weeping, and gnashing of teeth. I think just now is a wonderful occasion because God, by his grace, is affording you the opportunity to be saved. Isn't that marvelous? Don't you see in your own heart your sinfulness and how ill-deserving you are and God in the gospel through crisis, today it can all change for you. Today you can be reconciled. Today you can be redeemed. Will you not today come into the loving arms of the Lord Jesus Christ? Surely you will. And by doing so, become what? A child whose heart is turned to their Heavenly Father. Yes. Become with us as a church, a people who can delight in the prospect of one day all of us in Christ. What shall happen? We shall stand face to face with our King.
Let's pray. Gracious Father, we thank you that though we are utterly, utterly ill-deserving and worthless people, people ready at the drop of a hat to run from you, we thank you that you hooked us up by grace and taken us into yourself. We thank you, Lord God, that one day the Lord Jesus Christ shall return, that all eyes shall see him. And we thank you by the work of the gospel that we in Christ have nothing to fear. Lord, we praise you for this. In Jesus' name.